but we are not perfect. Um, and he says, I love everyone. I love everyone. And if your child is not perfect, do you still love him? Yes, of course. And the same as what he said, God just loves us where we are. And we don't need to be perfect or do something special. Or um, He loves us. Um, and that's really special. So I'm going to open with prayer. Father God, thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you for your wonderful um, children. Thank you that we can know that we can just be, Father. And you love us. We don't need to perform. We don't need to be something. We don't need to reach a certain level before you can love us. You just love us. You flood us with your love. Father, and I ask that today we will experience that love. We will feel it. Let it be a revelation to all of us, Lord, how you love us, how you care for us. Um, yeah, that we can feel cared for and protected and loved, Father. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, um, we're going to look at a clip. It changed my life many years back when I saw this. It's actually not a clip, it's a video. <laughs> so it's not a movie. We will, we, I will preach a little. <laughs> but enjoy. Just receive. Um, I can also share what the guy is saying, but he says it's so much better. So that's why I chose that we will look at it, and then, we will, um, then I will get, uh, start from there. Enjoy. On the edges of Bethlehem for centuries, shepherds have brought their flocks to feed on these hillsides. The shepherds that first heard the message that Jesus had been born in the city of Bethlehem were out here on the hillsides overnight watching their flock. When you look at these hillsides, it's difficult to see what the sheep could even eat. But because this is the area where David brought his flocks for so many years ago, it's a good place to remember Psalm 23 and to just celebrate a little bit about the work of the shepherd. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to follow some of the boys here and to spend two weeks as a shepherd. Now, I'm not a shepherd. I have exactly two weeks' experience moving around the hillsides here. But we spent a long time with a young fellow by the name of Mahmoud from Beit Zahor, just near Bethlehem here. And in those two weeks, I traveled and slept with the shepherds and moved with the flocks and had the opportunity to learn a great deal from the shepherds in this area. I learned a lot about how to tend the sheep and how to care for the goats. I learned the personalities and the differences between the sheep and goats. And all of those have been helpful to me in understanding a little bit of the background of the Psalter and the psalmist when he wrote Psalm 23. David's precious psalm about the shepherd and sheep, unfortunately, has been relegated a lot of the time to funerals. But it's a very, very living narrative. And it begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Mahmoud taught me that uh, to get sheep to lie down, it's a major project. They don't want to lie down. And so there are four things you must do to get your sheep to lie down at night. First, you have to make sure they had sufficient food. Now you look at the hillsides, the sheep here don't raise their heads very often. They keep them down at the ground. It takes eight hours a day of scouring these hillsides for food to get enough to eat, to fill their belly. 
But every night, Mahmoud would reach up underneath their belly and grab their stomach, and it would tickle them a little bit, and they'd jump around. But that's the way he could tell if their stomach was full, if the belly was distended. If they haven't had enough food, they won't lie down, and they'll all the way through the night, and you won't get any sleep in your sheepfold. Not only do they need enough uh, food, but they also need enough water. If you look closely at the noses of your sheep, they should be wet. If the noses are parched and dry, they've not had enough water. And so uh, Mahmoud would carry a big um, wineskin with water in it, and we would force water down their throats at night to get them to lie down. They would line up every night and get checked for food and checked for water. Now, you not only need to make sure they eat enough and drink enough, but they also have to be cleansed of their parasites. Itchy sheep won't lie down. And because they keep their face down all of the time and trying to eat enough to, to get enough nourishment, they get gnats and parasites up in their noses and in their tear ducts of their eyes. So every, every evening, Mahmoud would take out a, a cloth, a white linen cloth, and wipe out the noses of the sheep to get them to lie down. Wipe out the tear ducts. Cause them to stop itching and then they'll be able to lie down. It's interesting to note that my heavenly shepherd not only gives me the food I need and the water I need, but he also cleans out my nose, as it were. I'm often reminded that the job of the one who leads the congregation is not CEO or orchestra band director, it's shepherd. And that in and of itself means to clean out the nose. Someone in the congregation has to preach the word even when they know who's beating who and who's cheating on who, and deal with the sin of the flock looking right up their noses. They say the history of Jerusalem is written in blood and stone, and certainly you can see that at the Zion Gate, pockmarked with the evidence of wars and trouble here in this region. On the outside of this gate, you can see bullet holes that were here from the 1948 and 49 Israel War of Independence. Again, there was more fighting, and a plaque behind me recalls the fighting here from the 1967 June War, when the divided city of Jerusalem was uh, reunified again as the Israelis uh, came in through this area of the city. The walls outside Zion Gate have a number of bushes, small little creeping capers, they're called. Uh, These are bushes that have been used through the centuries by the shepherds. They actually come along these walls and they would take away pieces because the thorn is a reverse thorn. It grows in the opposite direction. They use them uh, to get the leeches out of the throats of the sheep. So you can open up the mouth of your animal, put your fist inside, and then use these long thorns to go down and pull at the leeches to extract them from the inside of the throat of the animal uh, if the sheep is having a sore throat because he has leeches inside of his throat. Not only do you have to feed and water and clean out the nose and parasites, but the sheep will not lie down unless they feel secure. You need to take them into a a sheepfold. Some number of years ago, I visited a sheepfold, and a shepherd told me that he was the door. I asked, where is the door on the opening? He said, I am the door. He said, the sheep are most comfortable when they know that nothing can get in without getting past me. So I'm the one who keeps the gate, just by sleeping inside the gate here, along the inside of the opening. Now, a sheepfold is not normally in a flat space. It's usually on a hillside. And the reason is, the shepherd puts the parameters around the sheep, but if, if the sheep are left with nothing to do, they'll bite one another and cause infections. 
Sheep need something to do, so they walk up and down the hill all the time. Even the shepherds out on these hillsides do not allow the sheep to remain in one place. They keep moving them about within a certain circle. That's so they don't overgraze the lamb, but it's also so the sheep don't get bored. Sheep bore easily. They have very little to think about but to eat, and they push each other around constantly. And so to be sure that all of them are able to nourish themselves, you have to move them constantly from place to place. Remember that the epistle writer says, be careful when you bite one another lest you devour one another. That's sheep talk. Now, if it takes those four things to get the sheep to lie down, then David says, my heavenly shepherd is so good to me, he gives me the food I need, the water I need, he cleans out my nose, and he makes me feel secure. He goes before me and makes me know that it's okay for me to be here. If you walk into my sheepfold and my sheep don't know you, they'll all stand up because they feel vulnerable lying down. But they stand on their, on their legs because they feel a little bit more prepared to run. The psalmist continues in Psalm 23 and says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The word in Hebrew is the word for a mirror, a reflection. The sheep in this part of the world are deathly afraid of running water, and for good reason. The best part of the wool of the sheep is actually between the front legs up to the under the chin area. That's the best wool we can get. And as a result, the sheep, when they drink, often will have what's called a siphon effect and pull the water up underneath their chin. Our sheep have very strong back legs, and they have very agile front legs, but not very strong front legs. And when they begin to drink and the water sucks up underneath their chin, they can buckle their front legs and they can drown in moving water. And as a result, the sheep are deathly afraid of the sound of water. If I come out into this field and I walk up and pour water on a rock, the sound of running water will cause the sheep to run away. They're afraid of that sound. It says, He leads me beside still waters because a good shepherd goes out to the running water of the stream and pulls it off into a settling pool, away from the sound of the water, or takes a bucket and, and brings the water over into a settling place and waits till the water is calm and still, and that's when he brings the sheep over. A good shepherd knows exactly what makes the sheep nervous, and he goes before them to settle them so that they are able to get what they need. That's what my heavenly shepherd does. That's what an earthly shepherd is called to do for a congregation, to understand their fears and to go ahead of them and to make it okay. The psalmist continues, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Across the Judean hills we will see just dozens and dozens of goat and sheep trails cut into the side of the wilderness of Judea. As the shepherds go across, they never follow a straight path. In fact, you never want to walk at the bottom of the valley, or what we call the wadi, the dry riverbed. You prefer to get your sheep and goats up out of that area, because when they walk on the top, it's much easier to spot any foxes or any, any harm that could come to them. To walk at the bottom of the valley is like the shadow of death. It's a, a scary place for the sheep. They need to be up and away. The sheep and goats have the ability to move and up and down the slopes in an incredible manner because of the joints in their legs. But you don't want to bring them down to the bottom because they can easily snap their legs if they get caught between rocks down low in the valley. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When you look at the flock of sheep and goats as they're moving around on the hillside, the good shepherd is the one who stands in defense of them regardless of what happens. The hireling runs away. Jesus is making a pointed illustration about the leadership in the temple, saying, 
Those that truly understand what shepherding is about draw people together and are not cast off when troubles come. Those who scatter the flock and those who allow them to be uh, hit by the outside influences and the foxes and carried away, those are not good shepherds. They're hirelings. It says in the text that he leads me in paths of righteousness. And it's interesting to me that the sheep and goats don't walk in straight paths. That literally there are two words here that they could use. A roadway, which is a straight road, or a meandering path. And the word here is for a meandering path. You say, wait a minute. I thought righteousness was straight and narrow. No, salvation is straight and narrow. Righteousness is a wandering path. Nobody I know knew exactly last year that they would be doing what they're doing right now. And actually, if you look through your life, you will see many, many times what looked like a detour was actually God's plan. Exactly where he wanted you to go. I have a friend who uh, was sure that God had called him to go to France and preach the gospel. And so he went to Bible school. And he went to seminary. And he went to language school. And he learned the French language. And he is now preaching the gospel in Quebec, Canada. He had the right idea, but the wrong destination. And often, the way we think we're going is not the way we're going. The path of righteousness is determined by the shepherd. And it changes and shifts and turns as the shepherd sees fit. He goes on and says... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Shepherds today often only carry a small staff. But the older shepherds that are out here in these fields still have the rod. It's uh, about, uh, oh, maybe less than a meter long. And it has a little leather strap on it. The rod is not used to to club animals. If a fox comes to bother the babies, you take this baton-like device and you twirl it around with the leather strap and you throw it at the legs of the fox and he'll run away. And so you use this to protect your sheep. I understand why David would say, Lord, you know your, your rod and staff, they comfort me. I understand why he would say the rod comforts, but why the staff? The staff is that longer, crook-ended shaped stick that is often uh, used to guide and direct the sheep. These boys out here on this hillside are using a much smaller version because they're not going far from home. But they have, back in the tent, a much larger one if they have to go on a two-week journey like I went with Mahmoud. The sheep don't walk by sight. So one of the primary things that gives the staff its importance is that as the boys move along, they'll bang on a rock with their staff. The sheep, not following by sight, follow by sound. And so they'll be shouting names of sheep and banging on rocks. And the sheep will never even look up. They'll be eating all the while and just turn with whichever direction they can uh, hear the noise. The sheep are not designed to walk by sight. They're designed to walk by hearing. And so the staff is a comfort to me because it gives me direction. Now sometimes it's not the direction of the staff, but the correction of the staff. The staff is also used for the sheep that sometimes want to go in a wayward direction. You note that when the shepherd walks, often the goats follow and then the sheep follow the goats. And those closest to the leader are often not the sheep, they're the goats. By the way, let me just make a a note here and just say that um, when God talks about the congregation in terms of sheep and goats, real sheep do not bite their shepherd. You can stick your hand as the shepherd in the mouth of your sheep and they will not bite you. But don't turn around and bend over away from your goats. 
And if you happen to be in a congregation where someone's chewing on all the shepherds, that's not sheep material, that's goat material, my friend. And it tells you something about the character of the animal that we're dealing with. Sheep are mostly followers. They don't like to lead away, and generally they stay back and stay communal. They like uh, to feel themselves bumping against one another. Goats are loners. They'll forge out in any direction. And when you see them standing out on the hillside, they're all looking in a different direction. Sheep generally lie down with all noses facing the same way. Every now and then you'll get a, 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 an animal that will lead others astray. And, and when you get that, a, a good shepherd has a painful moment in his life. I said that sheep don't bite their shepherd. There's one time when they will. And so they sell in downtown Bethlehem today vacuum cleaner bands, heavy rubber bands that you put over the mouth of the sheep. And it only is used when you have to break the leg of an animal. Sometimes they're leading others astray. And when they do that, you position their leg against a rock and you drop your knee and you break their leg. At that moment, they'll bite you. But you reset the leg and wrap the leg and then you carry the animal on your shoulders. And you will carry that animal for the next four weeks. And every bit of food it gets, it will come from the shepherd's hand. And every bit of water it gets, it will come from out of the, the, the nozzle of the, of the wineskin of the water bag carried by the shepherd. And during that time, that sheep will bond with that shepherd. And afterwards, he'll come away with a limp. But just like Israel so long ago got his limp, there was a bonding experience, and that sheep will stay next to that shepherd for the rest of its life. It'll hop and hobble, but it'll stay where it belongs. You know, when you look at the sheep and the goats out here in the field, you remember that the paths of righteousness are led by the staff. And sometimes that staff gives me direction, but sometimes it gives me correction. And if the sheep keep going the wrong way, I know it's hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. When one falls into a crevice, the other one goes in right after it. I have seen with my own, my own eyes a five-sheep pile-up, nose to rear end, caught in a crevice. Do you know what the sixth one was doing? He was going like this, trying to get in because something was going on in there. And immediately you take the candy cane end of the staff and you pick them up. Now, if you put it underneath the front legs, I don't know if you've ever picked up a cat, but if you pick up a cat from behind its head, the back legs will loop under the front and it becomes a circle. The same is true of the sheep. If you put that staff underneath his front legs, it'll squeeze his, uh, his lungs a little bit and his back legs will come up under like a circle and you can move him out. Then you flip it over very carefully and give him a shot in the rear end and it changes his entire perspective suddenly he's ready to move out of the crevice. If you forget to shoot him in the rear end with the other end, he'll go right back into the crevice. He seems destined to, 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 to mess his life up. And yet the shepherd is there and is responsible to turn him around and pull him in another direction. Sometimes the staff gives me direction. Sometimes it gives me correction. Sometimes it gives me rescue because it pulls me out of the crevice. And that staff is an incredible comfort to me. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that's what makes me able to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And then he says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In, in our part of the world, you don't sit down and eat with somebody unless you know them. To eat with somebody is a symbol that you love them and forgive them and have a relationship with them. And so you don't dare do that without some kind of relationship. Some of you may remember some years ago when the late Prime Minister uh, Rabin was shaking hands with Mr. Arafat on the front lawn of the White House and President Clinton was standing there with his arms out in between. 
The front page of our newspaper was not that shot. That was shot all over the world on newspapers, but not in Jerusalem. The front page of the Jerusalem newspaper was the eating of lunch before they shook hands. The question that they asked in our press was, did they eat together? When Sadat and Begin sat down in Beersheba and broke bread together, that's when peace was made. And so it's all about eating here. That's why in Luke 15, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? Fine, you want to tell them they're, they're, they're healed? You want to tell them they're forgiven their sins? Fine, but don't eat with them. Jesus didn't answer the question directly. He answered it through a parable. The parable begins, which one of you, if you had uh, 100 sheep and lost one, would not leave the 90 and 9 and go and find that one which was lost? And when you found it, place it on your shoulders and come back to your neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, for that which is lost is found. Likewise, I say to you, there will be joy in the presence of heaven over one sinner that repents, more than 90 and 9 that need no repentance. The scripture says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like Jacob and Laban so long ago sat down and had a meal and settled their argument, that's what the writer is saying. You make me able to reconcile the differences with my enemies and make it possible for me to have a life together with them, to eat a meal together with them. The meal covenant of scripture. The final setting of the Gospel of John is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Sitting on the beach was Jesus by a small coal-filled fire. John looked over at Peter and said, Peter, I think it's the Lord. And Peter, of course, being impetuous, threw himself in the water to come up onto the beach. They caught an incredible number of fish, and Peter wasn't even there to help them get them out. As he came up onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there sat Jesus. But he already had his fish, and he offered him breakfast. Now remember, in our culture, one does not eat with someone unless you love and forgive them and have a relationship with them. Jesus was going to give an example to the disciples in front of the disciples for Peter's benefit. And as they sat down together, Jesus, after the meal was ended, said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Why do you ask if I love you? Then feed my sheep. Jesus was doing something revolutionary in the life of Peter. He was telling him to change his way of thinking, change his lifestyle, change just catching the fish to moving to tending and loving and nurturing the sheep. The scripture says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Mahmoud taught me that every night the sheep were susceptible to something that I get out in these fields. If you're lighter complected, uh, blue eyes, uh, reddish hair, you can get what's called a summer fever. And in the summertime here, I typically get a fever at night, about two nights a week, that is in excess of oh, several degrees higher than it should be. I'll sweat all night long. And it comes from the sun. The ultraviolet B, the UVB rays that cause us to get a, a suntan, also work on those of us who are lighter complected. And they'll give you a summer headache and fever at night and raise your temperature as your body reacts to that overexposure to the sun. Goats have dark skin. Sheep have pink skin. You can even see on the udders some of the pink that's coming out along the flesh line. Because the sheep are lighter skinned, they're susceptible to the summer fever. And so Mahmoud would take a small flask of oil and a little plate or a saucer 
And every night he would bring the sheep in and he would check their, their stomach and then he would check their noses and clean out their noses. And then he would take, if they had a warm nose, he would take a little bit of oil and pour it on their head with a saucer below catching the uh, remaining oil. And he would rub their heads with oil. I said to him, why do you do that? He said, because they have a fever and they won't lie down because they don't feel well. I said, does rubbing their head and putting oil on their head, does that solve their their headache? And he said, well, they never told me. But he said, I don't think so because they're still warm. And then he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, I don't think the sheep want me to take their pain away. I think they want me to do this so they know that I care about their pain. So that they see that the shepherd is with them in their pain. The anointing of the sheep is done so that you can comfort them. And after he would rub their heads, they would walk over and in a row lie down one after the other. Almost like an assembly line. They knew what was coming. They knew his care by his gentle touch. I had to laugh because when you go out to the water supplies out here in the wilderness, there are some watering holes where all the shepherds come. You know what the shepherds talk about? They judge a shepherd by the sheep. They look at each other's sheep and determine whether or not that's a good shepherd. And they talk about how dirty that one is, or how that one hasn't been cared for, or how matted the hair is on that one. And when they get together, they often reflect on some of the needs of the sheep. They tell each other where the foxes have been particularly bad. We spent a lot of time out on these hillsides, and every morning and every evening we ate our two meals a day. They were always a large flat bread that we would make, a fatir, which we would make out on the fire, and some olives, and usually uh, some dried fruit. On the weekends, if we got something special, we'd get some dried fish. But pretty much we ate the same thing every day. The sheep also eat the same thing every day, and it's hard to even see what it is. In many of the hillsides in the Judean wilderness, you'll see flocks moving along, eating the little tiny brown hairs. Remember, green pasture is a relative term. David had never been to Ireland. He never saw great, vast, green pastures. This is as good as it gets for him. We have about two months a year where you have green grass. And then within the next month after the rains end, the grass withers and the flower fades, and you have nothing but the word of the Lord concerning next year's rains to count on. The scripture goes on to say that my cup is running over Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the sheepfold of the Lord forever. Bethlehem was a small village at the time of Jesus. Simple homes like the one behind me are nothing more than caves with fronts placed on top of them. All of the children would sleep in the same room with their parents. In fact, uh, the early rabbinic tradition was uh, if a couple was going to have a relationship, a physical relationship, raise the rug so the children can't watch, meaning everyone's sleeping in the same room and there's no privacy. The idea of a three-bedroom, two-bath rancher does not exist in Jesus' world. Small um, areas for animals, often inside the house and the back of the house, were common in the ancient period. When Jesus was born... He was born inside the village of Bethlehem, probably in the room in the back of the house, where the mangers were placed. The original manger was probably much more like this, something that was a rock cut or stone manger. Jesus was placed inside there, and it's there that the shepherds would come and find him. The shepherds' fields surround Bethlehem even today. Sheep and goats are 
familiar on its hillsides. So are the olive terraces, the olive trees that are growing all around the edges of the city. The shepherding is still an important part of the economy, even to this day. Every afternoon, these shepherds will bring back into the fold all of the flocks. They'll separate the sheep from the goats, because the goats will bother the sheep all night long. The goats seem to have something within them that the sheep don't have, the need to cause trouble. And they'll come up behind a flock of sheep that are standing there at a watering hole having no trouble, and the goats will ram their way in, push everyone out, and especially go after the young, which gets the, the mothers mad and everybody starts moving in. It only takes one goat to upset the entire flock. I don't know if David knew how deep his words would touch those of us who've worked in ministry over the years. But I don't think anything trained me as well for pastoral ministry as two weeks with a shepherd on the hillside surrounding Bethlehem. And just an investigation of what is the job of a shepherd. David wrote about the shepherd and sheep. It touched my heart and I found that these hillsides have had a place in my life ever since. <laughs> you want to look at the questions? We're not going to do the questions. I hope it was good. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope when you read Psalm 23 again that you, yeah, you realize who is God, who is our shepherd. And um, yeah, let's go to a few slides. Um, our shepherd is um, God Trinity. It's God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus. Um, Jesus died for us. He came to, to the earth. He, we have our salvation because of Jesus. Um, we can be healed. We can be delivered because of Jesus that died on the cross. And um, Jesus on earth always said he's only doing what he saw his father did. So the, the example was the dad, was father, father God. And then we have the Holy Spirit that guides us, that leads us. That is what makes us link with the spirit world. That is how we can hear God's word, how we can hear what he's saying to us, how he leads us, he guides us. Um, it's always beautiful. Um, we have um, Tuesdays, we have intercession for the church. And like here, we have now before church, we have intercession. And it's always beautiful to see what God leads us to. What what does the Holy Spirit stir up in us? And there were so many things that, that I could just see, okay, yeah. last week as well, this is about shepherding. This is about what is on his heart. Um, every week, me and Dad can praise who needs to preach and on what. So, luckily, God told me before I came, I need to preach once, and he needs to preach once, so I could prepare it in, um, in the Netherlands already. Um, but, but yeah, you, we rely totally on God. I cannot choose myself. Um, I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good pastor or what. I, I just need God. If he doesn't tell me what to preach on, I will not come. <laughs> I will chat, yeah, but, 
but I will not preach. I really need to know from him, of him, what he wants. So that's about the shepherding. We had the whole video on the shepherding. But then I've put a column on discerning. And for us self, in your own hearts, discern. Are you sheep or are you a goat? Do you follow your shepherd? Do you follow God? I'm, I'm not now talking about your local pastor. I'm talking about God. We need to, we need to link all of us up to God. He is, he is our ultimate shepherd. Now it's, um, so are you a sheep or are you a goat? Um, if our shepherd leads us in good pastures, do you, do you, do you follow him? Or do you follow something else? Your own idols? Your own wants? Miracles? Some people run after miracles. Some people run after prophets. Some people have super cool ideas and they just run after that. After what are you running? What, what makes you make the choices in your life? Um, what makes you tick? Is it a pastor? Is it a leader? Is it your work? Is it what? Um, the next one that I want to just leave with you as well is um, if you've discerned you are a sheep or you're a goat, do you have a relationship with God? Um, when you need to make choices, as you said, um, you were, uh, God told you to come to London, um, I, I have seen many people um, asking God, you know, is this your will? Uh, do you want me to do this? Then God says yes or no, or I want you to do that. Then it doesn't suit them. Then they don't do it. And is God to you an opinion? I, I say, if you phone him, if you pray and you ask him guidance, why don't you take what he tells you? Why, why do you even bother phoning him? Asking him, we need to hear where does God want us. We we heard now on the video as well. It's a road that goes like that. We don't know it's straight. We we cannot assume it's straight. So we need his tips, his rod and his staff all on the road. But if you're not if you're not tuned into God, or even you have the ability to tune into God, which is, for me is super special, that we can communicate. Through, through the Holy Spirit um, but you do not take it seriously you take it as an opinion are you a sheep or are you God then so can you when, when you're tired when you're heartbroken when, when you struggle is God your refuge your safe place your nurturer can you go to God and cry and say, Lord, I've had it. This is so difficult. I don't know if I can, can do this. I shared this, um, not, not here, I think I didn't share it here. Um, planting the church in Utrecht has its challenges, as every work. And um, I'm privileged that I can see my children still every now and then in South Africa and Jan Willem here. But last time when number four was born and I helped there for two and a half weeks, it was so special. 
Yeah, and you bond with your grandchildren, and it's beautiful. And yes, you know, you need to leave. So I, when when I left them at the airport, I, they came to say goodbye, everyone, and I said goodbye. And you can look through the glass still at, after uh, you went through the security. And I greeted them, and I walked to the passports, and that's a that's a corridor. And I just sobbed and I cried. I said, "Lord, I think this is too difficult for me." I think I cannot cope really to see them and to greet them and to hug them and to bond and then in two weeks' time, three weeks' time, you need to say goodbye again and oh, they are safe and they are okay and they have beautiful parents. It's not that. <laughs> it's just my own selfishness, I think. But And then, then it's so beautiful how God showed me. He put a blanket around me. And I was even arrogant then because I said, yes, Lord, I know you do that. And I've seen it many times with people that you put a device or a blanket around them. But then he picked me up and he carried me like a baby. And I just knew he's there. He's there when I'm sobbing. He's there when I'm crying. He's there when I'm joyful, when I can celebrate that you have a job. He's, he's there. Without God, I cannot go. And I pray that for every one of you. That you can bring your burdens, that you can bring your worries, that you can, you can put everything to God. We grow. Um, in, in before the sermon, we had an um, intercession, and God showed me this weird picture of a popcorn maker, and I realized that at the bottom of the pot, it's hot. It's not funny to be there, but you pop, you you pop when when it's hot. And if we haven't gone to the Netherlands and planted this church, and I haven't had to say goodbye to my loved ones every now and then, I most probably wouldn't have experienced how God will pick me up and how He will comfort me. So it's also a privilege to be in difficult situations because you need to rely on Him more, and you do rely more on Him. Because, yeah, there's no other way. Um, it's just him. And it make it makes your faith grow. It makes your trust in God grow. It makes you grow that you know he is there, he is faithful, he is just, he will come through. Um many not many times, but a few times, even in church back in South Africa still I had um you know, there was some differences between me and other people. And I asked then I go to God and I said, Lord um, do you want me to change? Do you want me to say sorry? Do you what? What do you want me to do? I'll just do what you say because I know at the end that will be the best. And it's not about my honor or my whatever. It's not about me. It's about God. And then God said, "Just stay who you are. Just stay. Just be. Just stand. And don't take revenge. And um, I will restore your honor." And then I think, okay, well, whatever, it's terrible now, but um, I'll just do what you say. And then after a few years, or a year even, then I suddenly see, he restored my honor. It's not the same anymore. Just because you're stable, you stay, you do what God says. He's your rod, he's your staff, he tells you where to go. Yes, and in that season you think, whoa, Lord, how did you choose this? I don't think this is the best. Because at some stage he even said to me in relationships, um, don't answer 
don't reply. I said, Lord, this is not how we do relationships on earth. We need to communicate. We need to be there. And then, then he says, no, I tell you no. You give them more fire shots or what things to shoot you at. And I don't want that. So, keep quiet. Yeah, for me it's often quite difficult to keep quiet. So I said, okay, okay, okay. And, but it was the best. It didn't make sense in my brain, but it was, the, it was eventually the best. So, and I often miss it. Really, I, if you think, oh, we are so in a line. No, we are not. Without God, I will go astray. Without Him, I will miss it so many times. Like this sermon, I know this is what I have to bring today. I don't worry if, if you receive it or not. That's God's job. I just need to do this. I need to say what is on his heart. And that is so wonderful and beautiful. Also in the church in, in Utrecht, um, from the start he told me, it's not your church, Renee, it's my church. And that keeps me also going. I'm not responsible for his church. I'm responsible to do my job. I'm responsible to do what he asked me for. And he will do the rest. And if we are two people or five people or 20 people, it doesn't matter. It's his church. And it, it's such a relief because you, you have so much less responsibility in that sense. It's his, it's his job. And he will see to it. Okay, that's about do you have a relationship with God? Can you hear his voice? Do you adhere to him? Do you guide? Or does he need to pull you out and bump you <laughs> that way? Um, sometimes it's good. <laughs> um, um, oh yes, I wrote here that uh, before we came uh, to the Netherlands, uh, God told us to renew our wedding vows. I must say that slow because otherwise I struggle. Wedding vows. Okay. We were 33 years already married. And um, what I didn't realize was that when we got married, we really, we actually vowed for one towards one another and not towards God that you will take this husband or this spouse so it was actually a, a vow between us and I realized God wanted a vow to him so we skyped with Jan Willem and the other two was there and we renewed our wedding vows and yeah, oh, well, it's a short little sermon and that's it yeah. and that evening when I went to bed God said to me your marriage will be like a diamond. It will be super hot. No one will ever come in between. But it will shine. And I said, okay. I don't know what this means, but I receive. Thank you. And then we went to the Netherlands. And Darkan has his own business. And he always worked very long hours. And I had my things during the daytime, as I shared yesterday with you. So we, you kind of have separate lives. Yeah, in, you know, after after work, you come together and you're in a unity and so on. But you know, he does his things and I do, do my things. And yeah, in Utrecht, we, um, we were sitting in a bachelor's flat facing each other 24 hours. And it was hot because I was not uh, used to Darkan around me 24 hours a day. I at least had, could do my own thing. And now he's there. And then the whole time he says, would you like some coffee? Then I thought, I have already had three cups of coffee. Can you please leave it? Yes, thank you. That would be great. 
<laughs> then he makes me a cup of coffee. Then we have coffee again. Then I say, you know, I'm tired of this place. I'm leaving. I'm going to the shops. Oh, I'll join you. <laughs> Can I just go on my own? And it was really a bonding time, and I didn't enjoy it so much. But now I can look back, and we always thought we can't work together because we are really we have very much different personalities. And um, when we did marriage prep before we went, we attended that course, and we have to do some. It's a tree thing that you that they they. They say, okay, this is your type of personality, and it's it's four types of trees or whatever. And then afterwards, the lady came to us, and she says, um, yes, I've seen your report, and uh, um, how do you work together? I, I said, what do you mean? We don't work together. He does his thing, and I do my thing. He's good in one, and I'm good in the others. And then I realized it's actually... So awesome how God put us together for this job. It was tough in many years. It, many years it was tough in the marriage because we are so, we think so different. But now we really appreciate one another. If I don't clean the toilets, he needs to clean the toilets at the at this at the church. If if um, he doesn't put the the stuff outside the teardrop or whatever I have to do it. So you really appreciate one another so much more because we have to do the work together. So it's actually a privilege. And I never saw it that way, but it, it's so you, you get so tuned into one another. It's um, and I and I realize okay, this is what God had for me or for us. And it's awesome. It was not easy, but it is awesome to to have it. So yeah, God knows always the best, although it doesn't look like that. I'm many times not in agreement with God, but I submit because I know I can only see you, and He knows the rest. Um, and he, I, I, can, I can choose my own thing, but I know I'll, I'll have to come back. Dad can always says, is that Joe? Nothing. You can either do what he says, or you'll come back. <laughs> you need to repeat because you didn't pass the test. I don't know if you want to write this down, but Ezekiel 34 and 1 Peter 5 explains a lot about a shepherd. Um, God said to me, it's not my task to go through that today. The only thing, uh, so Ezekiel 34 and 1 Peter 5 um, is, is beautiful. Then you can also see what a shepherd on earth needs to be, how we struggle and how you really need to pray for shepherds, for your own shepherd, for other shepherds. It's, it's, um, if you don't follow God, it's even worse. It's the more difficult. And sometimes it's really tough, as, as this uh, video also said, that at some stages you, he breaks the leg of the sheep. Um, it's not, it's not always funny. It, the people is difficult. I never wanted to be in this position. I like to follow. I don't like to lead. Um, so yeah, it's really out of your comfort zone. And um, yeah, sometimes even while praying, perhaps it looks to you that it's the wrong decision. But pray that your pastor will really hear God's word, really hear God's um, heart, really lead how God wants him to lead. And if you're in unity with him or not, it, if you're a sheep, you're supposed to follow. Um, it, you must trust that he will hear from God. And if you're not sure, pray. Pray that you will hear from God. Pray that you will hear from God. That you know where to, where to go. 
Okay, then the last thing, it's a, it's about um, a warning. I've written there, warning. Um, God said, I must share this. I'm going to give a little background in Acts 4 and 5. Um, it's John. I think it's John and um, Peter. Uh, some of you know Peter a little. He is... Um, I don't know what's the word in English. It's, he's going for it. Uh, he's a, perhaps a little impulsive. And he speaks before he thinks. And sometimes I, I feel a little like that. I can celebrate and join. Ooh, okay, this was perhaps not so celebratable. <laughs> um, but he's enthusiastic. And that, uh, that I love of him. He really goes 100%. Um, and then they, um, they went to the temple and there was a beggar, and he was lame, and he was there for, I think, 40 years. And uh, every day, people will bring him there, and then he will sit there, and he will earn his life, whatever little money, and then they will come and pick him up afterwards. And then the, uh, the two disciples came there, and, and he asked them for money, as he does for many years now. And then they stopped, and I think you know the story of your, some of you. He said, um, money I don't, ha- I, I don't have, but what I have I can give you. And he pulled him up, uh, he picked him up, and he could walk. And then this guy walked with them into the temple, and now the, the, the leaders in the temple was not happy. Because what's going on now? Yeah, Everyone is following them, and what is this rumor, and whatever. And then they, they catch them, or... What do you they arrest them and they ask them in whose whose power did you do this? How can you do this because you're not even clever they were not uh, uh, trained to read they they uh, were not educated as they were the leaders in the temple so now what's going on yeah it's out of their control and they are really not happy and then Peter comes and he answers if we are being examined. Today, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, he's adamant. He's even telling them, yeah, 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 yeah. You even um, crucified him and... It's, it's by the name of Jesus. We also sang it. The name of Jesus is a powerful name in the spirit realm. Um, if you, you speak something in the name of Jesus, it, the enemy needs to move in the spirit realm. So that's why when I love deliverance, so, um, uh, facilitating it, God does it. Um, but when you speak and you say, in the name of Jesus, you need to go now, they need to move. They need to move. Um, the other day when when uh, I sat with someone to deliver and then I said, okay, in the name of Jesus Christ, you go now. Go, 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 go. And then that person said, hop, 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 hop. I said, what's going on? They speak to me. They say, hop, hop, hop. On you go. They need to go. They need to go. They cannot stay. So the name of Jesus Christ is super powerful. Okay. Then they, they released them because they were they uh, they thought wow what's going on uh, he speaks so eloquently and whatever so then the next thing is verse sixteen Acts five verse sixteen 
The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. So now they see, whoa, people get healed. I also want that. But why? We were really followers of of the word, and we really studied the word, and we really try, and now these people just have these amazing miracles. So they really, and they saw the crowds were happy and cheering God because they told it's in the name of Jesus Christ. So they saw, whoa, here is a whole move away from them. So that, that, that made them so furious and jealous. What did they do? They arrest them again. So it's again about the same story. So they were put in the public jail this time. And then the angel came that evening and he released them. So the next morning they were preaching in the temple again. So they were kind of adamant because they knew trouble is there. But they just went back. And then the, the, um, the leaders of the temple said, okay, go and fetch them because we want to speak to them now. So they went to fetch them in the jail, but there was no one. Um, the, the guards were still there. The doors were closed or locked. So they said, I don't know. We don't know where they are. And then some, some guys, are you looking for these guys? Oh, they are there on the other side of the temple. That's where they are. So they were furious. What happened now? But they, and then if you, if you think of this whole situation, people were healed. The lame man, which all of them knew, whom all of them knew, uh, could walk. And he, well, he was following them. Um, all these miracles, now suddenly they are released from jail. You know a superpower is, is working here. Something, something very cool is happening here. And they are not on this bus. They, they are missing, the, missing it. So the angel brought them out. Um, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said they must go and teach again. And then they arrested them again there in the temple and they said, okay, but um, you may not do this and we command you to leave now. And uh, and they they just wanted them away. And then Peter said in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And this I had to learn many times in my life. You need to obey God rather than men. Even if godly people does something or say something, if you have heard different from God and you're sure you've got a confirmation, you need to stick to that. We cannot go with peer pressure. We cannot go with pressure from people. You need to follow God. So you need to make sure that you hear the shepherd's voice, no, that, you, that you are led by him. And then verse 32, um, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So now he even says, to the leaders, um, Peter speaks here again. He says, yeah, you see, we even have the Holy Spirit, and that's um, uh, to those who obey him. So yeah, you don't have it. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not on the Holy Spirit bus. You're, you missed it. So that made them even more angry. So he, was not, he, he didn't speak with kind words to them, uh, rather arrogant. 
And then verse um, 34 to 37. But uh, okay, now they wanted actually to kill them, but they they were so scared of them, uh, not of them, but of the people who were now healed and all on a hype. And you know how crowds go in soccer. Uh, you can't, there's no logic in it sometimes. They just scream and go and run and whatever. So I think it was like a, not really a mass hysterical thing, but it was everyone was so into this thing and they realized this is God and this is some superpower and, and we want to follow God. And, and these Pharisees and Sadducees were so, so angry. And then they, they, they gathered and they said, okay, what shall we do? What shall we do? And this is the warning that God wants me to speak today. Yeah. And then one Pharisee, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. This is the disciples. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Tudias rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. So he had a rather big church, and he had 400 people following him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up and um, in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. They still told them, you're not allowed to preach. But they didn't um, uh, kill them. And then the last verse, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Yeah, so we, we need to have a relationship with our God shepherd to discern and pray for your shepherds and yeah, make sure um, we had a pastor in, in Somerset West he always said before you say anything if you haven't bring that person before God you cannot say anything of the person no. um, and it's difficult and sometimes we miss it really we are people we are not a, a God. And yes, we do miss it sometimes. Um, but yeah, I know God is with you. God says he loves you all. I know he loves his church. I know he, he loves each and everyone, even if we miss it. He never lets you go. He never drops you. He never says, oh, now you choose wrong now. No, luckily I can repent and go back. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Our God is so, so special. If we can put the last slide um, on, it's just a summary of we have a shepherd. It's Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. And we need to discern, are we sheep or are we goats? Do we have a relationship with God? And this warning, be prepared not to stand up against something that is from God.
But it's the, we need to discern. No, we always need to discern. So I would love you to stand. Now I want to ask, and while your eyes are closed, and I just want to, um, I'm going to pray and do the altar call in the prayer, and you can react afterwards. Um, Father, we come before you, and we really need your help. And thank you that you're a loving Father. Thank you that you're a good shepherd, Lord. Thank you that we know that you see the leeches in our throat and in our nose, and you, you pull them out. Lord, thank you that you lead us to still waters. Thank you that you love us so much that you take care of us even if we have pains and aches and we cry. And you pour oil on our heads or you wrap a device around you and pick me up. And oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I know you're always into us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And you, you love us even in our brokenness, even in our difficulties, even in our wrong and right choices. It's not that we, um, we can boast in anything that we have arrived in. But thank you, Lord. Thank you that, that we know that we miss it all so often and that we can come back and we can repent and say, Lord, we really want to submit under you. And I want to ask if this, while any, all eyes are closed and while the believers are praying, if there's anyone who for the first time really realized that God is my shepherd, and I do miss it, and I need Jesus, because it's through his um, acceptance that we can be saved, saved from the sin, saved from not having a relationship with God, saved to be delivered, to be healed. If, this, if you realize this for the first time, and you've never declared it publicly, I would love you to come to the front that we can share this moment with you, that we can declare it publicly and that you can receive um, the salvation and your relationship with God. And then also if, um, if you realize you've done so many things wrong or you missed it so many times or yeah, um, God is there, just bring it to God. Just bring it to Him. He wants to be there. He wants to love you. He wants to restore you. You don't need to live with those burdens. You don't need to struggle so much. Just come and sit on His lap and give it to Him. So where you are, just share it with God. Just sit with Him. If you struggle to hear His voice, come to the front. Let us pray with you. That, you are, that the Holy Spirit will speak clearly to you, that you will have confirmations, that you will not struggle to hear the shepherd's voice, because you need to hear it. It's not by sight. It is by hearing. Thank you, Lord. Um, and also, when we, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, like the, those people in the temple that were educated, Father, they missed it. And, and Father, sometimes we miss it. We think horizontally. We look horizontally. We look to one another with not through your eyes, not through the eyes of Jesus. We look through our own eyes and, and we de- try to discern and try, try to figure out our roads and our ways and where we have to go. Father, we, we really want to repent. We want to bring it before you. And we want to look up. And do the horizontal relationships while looking up. 
as our last song was, teach us, give us your heart, Lord, so that we will look with the eyes and our heart like yours to love one another, to celebrate one another. For then you remind me again of the popcorn that um, you said the, before the sermon that you said, yeah, the popcorn is actually enjoying one another there in the pot. I think it's like the sheep um, bumping next uh, one to another and giggling and having fun and joy and, and just enjoying being together in the spot. And then, whew, then you're thrown out of the pot because it's too too full. And, but you're happy and you say, yeah, yeah, we go, yeah, we go. So thank you, Lord. Yeah, we go. Yeah, we want to go with you. Yes, Lord, we want to giggle and have fun together and joy. And we enjoy being part of your sheep, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if anyone wants to give their hearts for the first time to Jesus, please come to the front. And if anyone um, needs prayer or healing, it's also welcome. Or if you want to just bring your burdens and your, your where you lost the plot. Please come to the front. Are you going to do the communion? Must I do the communion?